0: Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 140 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. Hello. Huh. That was almost
1: too light of a hello. Let me try it one more time. Hello. That's <laughs> as light as it's going to get.
2: He <laughs> just consistently tries to imitate whatever hello I do, and frankly, it's insulting.
1: You know, mockery is the highest form of flattery. Parody? Imitation. Imitation. <laughs> Imitation. is the highest form of flattery. <laughs> Mockery is the <laughs> highest form of flattery. A, that, that's such a clue into Dylan's life so far.
0: <laughs> How is everybody doing? Right now we're recording from a giant box that we're using as a table and we've been spending the day dressing our cats up as lions. How are you? <laughs> <laughs>
2: um. Bob Balaban in NBA 2K has won his third championship and third MVP, Wow! and I have nothing else to show for my life, so that's good. (laughs) Is
1: Bob equally as excited each time, or does the game have some kind of program where now Bob is like, I'm considering a career in the music industry, or something like that? (laughs) Nope.
2: (laughs) Bob is exactly as excited to the point where it's the exact same animation (laughs) when he delivers his speech and the same words he says to the delighted crowd.
1: (laughs) I need need them to up the realism. I want to rap. Album from Bob Balaban. I want some uh, some like made made for TV movies.
0: (laughs) Andrew, is there a way to win NBA Two K, or is it just you? Just I think he just
1: described it to you.
2: (laughs) 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 Well, I would consider Bob a great success. He has completed enough tasks that he could retire right now and be a member of the Hall of Fame. Because there are, like, milestones you hit that would get you into the Hall of Fame. So technically, I think I've won.
1: <laughs> Andrew, I, I don't think you've won. I'm pretty sure there's a secret level where they just switch you over and now you're playing the MLB game.
2: Oh, wow. For, like, two years and then you go back to the Bulls? Yep, yep. <laughs> For no reason.
0: <laughs> I, I got to the end of Animal Crossing, or at least I reached the credits.
1: What? I didn't know that was a thing.
0: It's way too easy to do. I was still deeply in debt to Tom Nook, the raccoon. <laughs> but instead, now I've just been beautifying my island, but I had a really exciting thing happen, guys. This is this is how my life is. It was very exciting because my turnip prices were 497 bells a turnip. You need to know that was huge. And like I told people and everybody ran to my island. And this one person came and gave me all all these tips and he left like four million bells as a tip and it's literally changed the game for me so that's been my life
1: when you stated all those specifics that were so clearly like laden with meaning for you i now understand what it's like when i try to describe fantasy books that i like for other people (laughs) (laughs) like i can tell this means a lot to bailey but 497 bells what
0: for context i bought the turnips at 67 bells a turnip so then if you sell it at four ninety seven, dollars you make a killing.
1: You're truly wild. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Toby, how, how's your life? How's your Zelda journeying?
1: Zelda is doing great. Uh, I rode a horse that was a skeleton. Well, guys, sorry, I'm going to back it up. Welcome to Horse Watch 2020. Um, <laughs> this week, I rode a horse that was a skeleton. And it was cool, uh, except it explodes into a plume of black smoke if you run it too far away from the haunted maze that is its home. So that, you know, in those moments, you have the mountain and the valley of my week so far.
0: Well, that's all very exciting, guys. I mean, it's weird that we don't have better updates for you listeners. I mean, I'm sure that's the same. It's not weird. It's not weird.
1: (laughs) It's not strange at all.
0: I mean, there's no shame because there's no, you know, going out to bookstores. Oh, speaking of that, though, there is a campaign called Save Indie Bookstores and you can go to saveindiebookstores.com and a lot of cool. people are contributing to that. Um yeah, we're just hoping everything pulls through this this crazy time. Our baby shower is coming up and we've been getting a lot of packages in the mail and I can tell that some of them are books for the baby because they're from bookstores <laughs> and I can't wait ah. to open them.
2: Now, when you get books for your for your child, are you going to add it to your shame pile until you read them? Ooh.
0: Well, I mean, I could, although it'll take about 10 seconds to read them, so.
2: Not the books I'll be getting your child. Uh They'll be a little more advanced. The old man and the ABCs.
0: Andrew, please don't get the sound (laughs) and the fury for the baby.
2: I think your child would appreciate Faulkner's deconstruction of the English language.
1: Yes. Uh, I was also thinking, Bailey, you could start the shame habit early for your baby. You could put like until the baby is old enough to read them for themselves, Mm -hmm. right? Like You could make a little shelf and be like, until you learn to read this is your to read list and it will just be like full of hundreds of books that you read to them but they can't read for themselves yet
0: i'm sure that that will get her to learn to read by just staring at the covers
1: yes yeah. look one day we will all be dead and the to read list must continue so we need to <laughs> induct this baby into shame now
2: well if i learned anything from my book this week pressuring your child by setting expectations always turns out well
0: oh good teaser Ooh. All right. um, This week, Andrew had a book to read off his shelf. Andrew, what book did you review? I
2: reviewed Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng. Um, Before I get into it, have any of you guys read this book?
0: I have. I listened to it on Audible.
1: I have not, but I've read Little Fires Everywhere, which I really, really loved. And I saw the
2: trailer for the Hulu series, so that counts. Oh, that does count. Yeah, absolutely. So... This is my log line, and I apologize because it's very long. It's not really a log line, Um, but here we go. The Lees have never fit in anywhere, least of all their small Ohio town in the 1970s. James, a professor at the local college, is the son of Chinese immigrants who has never fit in in the mostly white schools he's attended and worked. Marilyn has always wanted to break the mold of a housewife, wanting more than anything to be a doctor. The children are the only mixed-race kids in town. When Lydia, their favorite child, dies mysteriously, the Lees are forced to tackle everything they've never wanted or been able to say to each other. Everything I never told you is a meditation on not belonging, a time-hopping exploration of the ways grief manifests, sometimes spiraling, sometimes spiking, sometimes easing, but ever present.
0: Andrew, you should write the back of books.
2: I find it so stressful. It would not be fun for me. (laughs) That was great. So, to talk about it a little less formally, the main conceit of Everything I Never Told You is that Lydia, who's the favorite child of the parents, dies. I say favorite child because they're very open about that. They, like absolutely love her more than their younger daughter and their older son. Something I liked about the book is that there isn't like room for a lot of mystery in what is technically like a mysterious book. The death is mysterious and a lot of other things sort of are revealed as you go by, but because the book takes on sort of a time hopping format, when they give you information, is really interesting so you know from the beginning that lydia has died it's literally the first sentence and i'm actually going to read the first paragraph of the book as my like quote from it because i think it sets the scene really interestingly chapter one lydia has died straight up that's almost word for word the first line Uh So because she is sometimes so forthright with what information comes out when, it's like it's a different experience because I feel like a different book or a different version of this story would take their time to reveal that Lydia has died because from the beginning she's missing. It's just a sort of inversion of expectations and she does it pretty constantly, which is something I really appreciated. Um, To go a little further into the plot of it, it is really a meditation on grief in many ways, as I sort of said in that log line um, and how it sort of morphs and changes and how it can change depending on who you share it with and how you share it and so i thought that was a real strength of the book um and it was really powerful in a lot of ways and really deep and 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 sad so i really liked that take on it it also feeds into one of my orcs about it but i will get to that when i get to that i'm going to read the first paragraph of the book which is as you might have guessed page one lydia is dead but they don't know this yet 1977, May 3rd, 6.30 in the morning, no one knows anything but this innocuous fact, Lydia is late for breakfast. As always, next to her cereal bowl, her mother has placed a sharpened pencil and Lydia's physics homework, six problems flagged with small ticks. Driving to work, Lydia's father nudges the dial towards WXKP, Northwest Ohio's best news source, vexed by the crackles of static. On the stairs, Lydia's brother yawns, still twined in the tail end of his dream, and in her chair in the corner of the kitchen, Lydia's sister hunches moon-eyed over her cornflakes, sucking them to pieces one by one, waiting for Lydia to appear. It's she who says, at last, Lydia's taking a long time today. So you can see from, like, that opening paragraph, you're, like, drawn in. Gives you a very clear picture of the family, and, like, you're just dropped into this... Sad, mysterious world that Celeste Ng has created. And so I thought that was a real strength of the book. She's like a real expert with how to disseminate information to the reader, which I really enjoyed. Well written. A couple other things I really liked about it. It is a story about being a mixed race child in an all white world in this town in Ohio. So that was, it was an interesting like version of the story that I hadn't gotten to hear a lot of. So I I valued that. Uh, I thought the book flowed really well, which is a tough task with such heavy subject matter. It's about a 300 page book, but I read it very quickly. Uh, I felt compelled to keep going, not just because like she relied on cliffhangers or anything like that, but because I was compelled to know what this family was going to do next and how they were going to change. And each chapter like flowed into each other pretty well. So I thought the pacing was really good. Also, the setting in the 1970s was really interesting, uh, especially as a story about mixed race love and, and um, coming of age. Moving into my sort of orcs. Um, and this one is so unfair, but it did color my old reading of the book. It's a dark story. There's not a lot of hope in it. There's not a lot of, like, brightness. And in this world we're in right now, and it, like, wasn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, it was just, like, that, like, bit too heavy, that bit too dark, that bit, like, soul-wrenching, that while all of those are actually compliments to the writing and to the story, it just like was hard for me to enjoy it because I was like, I just want to be taken out of it. And I had the opposite experience with Rebecca, which I also um, read during this week where I was like such an escapist thing that it was really like brain tickling and fun. And this one was just so much like you're back down to earth and now we're going to deal with grief and we're going to talk about what that means. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah. that that sucks, but that's really real right now. Like you got to be in the mood and it's hard because like you said, like, Soul-wrenching Like th- that kind of stuff Is usually your genre Like you're usually Really into that Andrew But like You know yeah. The listeners should know If they want to pick it up tomorrow Like what the experience Is going to be right now
1: I want to chime in And say yeah I, I mean I mentioned this Before in my other review But yeah I, uh, With um, Cat's Eye But yeah The Like <laughs> what pandemic reading is is a real thing is affecting my read of the crying of lot 49 and i've had the exact same reaction as you andrew because i also read rebecca and yeah no spoilers for our reviews but i'm done with rebecca i'm still working on the crying of lot 49 so
0: (laughs) you know i don't know if that's
2: just the pandemic having being someone who has tried to start the crying of lot 49 before but (laughs)
0: there's other factors Fair
2: point it's hard to know like what is going to be something that flows in this situation and what is going to be something that just kind of doesn't hit for you right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so with that said, I would recommend that folks seek out this book and I would recommend that people read it. I think it's really good, but I would wait. I would just wait until a little later. I'm just a little cold on it because it's not what I want.
0: <laughs> it's like when you watch a really good movie, but you're just exhausted and you're like, I know this yeah. is good, but I'm just falling. It's like just not in the right mood. I get it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And other than that, I didn't have a lot of orcs. There's a a specific side plot that would get into too much spoiler territory to talk about involving the one non-family character who's featured pretty prominently that didn't really land for me. I I thought it felt a little forced in. I'd be curious to talk to somebody who's read it. We'll talk later. Bailey and I will talk (laughs) offline. But if you read this book, see if there's a a, a storyline you feel is like a little, just that little bit shoehorned in. And other than that, I wholeheartedly recommend picking up this book reading it I just don't recommend it for right now (laughs) I'm gonna give it four stars very happily I'm gonna keep it on my shelf but yeah I would just uh I would wait a little bit before picking up everything I never told you
0: okay does it make you want to read Little Fires oh
2: absolutely I mean if it's anything like this I'll I'll also wait Um, (laughs) but like maybe I will check it out if this drags on longer and I need to replenish my book
0: supplies (laughs) (laughs) everything I never told you by Celeste Ng four stars but I'm curious to learn more about Celeste Ng so Toby do you have any facts
1: Yes, actually, I do. So, Celeste Ng uh, was born July 30th, 1980, born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and she is a first-generation immigrant. Her parents moved from Hong Kong uh, to the U.S. in the late 60s. Uh, her father was a physicist at NASA, um, and her mother was a chemist who taught at the Cleveland State University. So, Everything I Never Told You was her first novel. Um, it took her six years to write. It was a bit of a torturous experience for her she had a lot of non-success as many uh, aspiring authors do trying to get um, stories published here and there but she eventually won a pushcart prize for her story girls at play and that kind of led into her successful career in publishing and finishing everything i never told you um, which was picked as the amazon book of the year the year it came out and that kind of led to her becoming the star that she is uh, apart from the fact that everything i never told you is uh, reportedly a very good book and this is a, a tiny little uh, snippet about Ing uh, that I really enjoyed that I found on the Wikipedia page, and I just love how random it is. It's actually, this fact sounds like someone's upset with her, so just <laughs> listen to it like that. While on a book tour for Everything I Never Told You, Ing stated that her favorite book when she was little was Harriet the Spy. Currently, her favorite book is The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy.
2: <laughs> it's like such a gotcha journalism yeah. <laughs> thing. Your book, favorite book is still Harriet the Spy, isn't it?
1: So <laughs> <laughs> So Dylan alluded to one of these before, um, but uh, she has had enormous success with both of her books um, to the point where her 2014 debut novel, Everything I Never Told You, is being adapted into a film starring Julia Roberts. And also her book, Little Fires Everywhere, was developed for television by Reese Witherspoon and Hulu. And you can watch it now on Hulu. It stars Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington. Um, So I might have to check that out because I really enjoyed that book. So this is from an interview with NPR uh, that was first aired on All Things Considered. And uh, the question is about how Ng and her parents who emigrated from Hong Kong dealt with being in the US. This is Ng speaking. My parents talked to me about it sort of in the sense of, well, you need to sort of represent your race. I think they were very aware of the fact that we were different and that people would make assumptions about our entire nationality, our entire ethnic group based on what I did. So there was a little bit of the sense of, okay, well, you need to do well in school because otherwise people may make these assumptions about Chinese people. Or you need to make sure to be nice to people because otherwise people might think Chinese people are rude. It seems silly when you put it that way, but uh, that's sort of how stereotypes form. So I can see that feeding very directly into everything I never told you.
2: Yeah, a lot of her biography, not directly, but um, a lot of it does seem to be things she drew on. There's a a character who loves space, um, professor characters, all kinds of stuff.
1: Yeah, she's pretty clear about that. Uh, This is her interview with the Library of Congress, Poetry and Literature Center. The interviewer asks, you've chosen to set both your novels in suburban Ohio. In both books, the reader's exposed to multiple perspectives, some coming from characters of color and some coming from white characters. What is gained from experiencing minority narratives in a majority white environment? And Ng answers, there's tremendous value in seeing marginalized characters depicted within their own communities. Readers who are familiar with those cultures get to see their culture centered in the story, and readers less familiar with those cultures can get a glimpse of and hopefully an understanding of a narrative very different from their own. So I'm always glad when those works gain prominence and when groups that don't often get represented get to tell their own stories. And as an aside here, I'll say that Ng uh, has been very vocal. and very supportive of uh, female Asian-American authors or Asian authors in general. Uh, Ng says, but the truth is that most um, POC experience in the US takes place in a majority white environment. So I think it's also important to see that dynamic reflected in fiction. There's a risk that a reader from the dominant culture will finish a book about a marginalized culture, thinking, oh, how interesting. What a fascinating glimpse into some other way of life. The key word being other, because we're still othering that marginalized culture. We're still presenting it as something completely separate something that happens over there it's a kind of literary tourism visit look at the exotic local culture then go home unchanged however when a book is explicitly about how marginalized culture and dominant culture interact it's much harder to stay detached and voyeuristic if you're white for instance you may end up asking yourself hard questions what do I think about how these white characters who resemble me behave do I act this way what's my place in the system you're asked to think in terms of the larger picture and you can't pretend that a marginalized group's experience is totally separate and other from your because in fact, it isn't. Great. There's one more fun fact. I wanted to end it on a fun one. It's a bit unsatisfying, but I really tried to find the answer to this. But uh, Ng participated in an author-led event on Twitter a couple years ago where she auctioned off a character name in her next book in relation to donations for a foundation that helped reunite families separated at the U.S. border. And listeners, I tried real hard to find out who won that auction and what the name was, but I could not find the result.
0: Well, maybe we'll find out later. Maybe it'll be in a new book. Yes. Awesome. Alright. Well, good facts, Toby. I learned a Plot.
2: Thank you, thank you, Toby.
0: All right, this week um, I read a book, which I hope that you read too, listeners, called Rebecca by Daphne Du Maurier. Dun dun dun. This is great. So Dylan didn't read it, but you guys both read it, right? You just said you did.
1: Yes, that's
0: right. Let's do our let's do our progressive plot, and then we'll oh, get no. into it. Oh no,
1: I always forget this is the thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why don't you start, Toby? It'll be easier to start.
1: Uh, Okay, let's see. Uh, In Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier, a young, impressionable girl meets a tall, dark, and handsome stranger in Monte Carlo.
0: After a very quick romance on a cruise ship... Did you already say cruise ship? My bad.
1: They're not on a cruise ship. They're not on a cruise ship.
0: In my head, they were on a cruise ship, but you're totally right, they're not. Okay. After (laughs) (laughs) after, After a whirlwind romance... Um, they marry and return back to Mandalay, the estate house that the male lead Max once lived where he once lived with his deceased wife, Rebecca.
2: Once arriving at Mandalay, our unnamed protagonist, the second Mrs. de Winter, finds that not everything is as it seems, and the marks that Rebecca left might be too hard for her to overcome. Ooh.
0: Dun, dun dun dun!
2: Spooky, scary, scary as Suspense. alias,
0: <laughs>
2: scary as Mrs. Danvers,
0: rhododendron.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys tell we're pretty loopy yeah. listeners?
0: <laughs> it's very warm.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm in a hot room. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um. So. So this is a great book. Um. Well, I don't want to spoil my review. So I, we got we <laughs> too, a, get, too
1: late, Bailey.
2: <laughs> I you know. Just I, did it. I love this book, but I'm not going to spoil what I thought about
0: it. I love this book, and I'm not going to tell you why for about another minute. Anyway, we we didn't get very many responses, but uh, the responses we got were really good. So here are some of the reviews we got. So this first review is from our mom, Andrew. I feel like we should start with her. She says, I first read Rebecca when I was a young girl and remember loving it then. Of course, I totally forgot it. And now having read it over 40 years later, still love this book which I did not want to end in my view. It's a psychological thriller with unexpected twists and exquisite subtleties. I will not be a spoiler and will only reveal that it is a coming of age novel where the younger protagonist, whose name is never known grows from childhood to adulthood from misguided self-absorption to assured self-knowledge and from victim to genuine partner. The language and descriptions are haunting and the characterization right down to Jasper, the dog is exquisite. I was sad when the book ended. I gave Rebecca five stars. It is truly a classic. I like her review, but I disagree with some of her wording, where she says that um, that she goes from misguided self-absorption to assured self-knowledge. Oh, we'll get into yeah. that. Yeah, I
2: agree with you. Yeah, no, really. let's get into kind of that. I agree about Jasper, though. I do yeah. too. I
0: love Jasper. All right, uh, listener Jane writes in. I really loved Rebecca. It sort of felt like Bridget Jones turned into crime and punishment. And so unlike anything I've read, I relate to her so hard because she had this aversion to conflict of any kind and is a fellow hardcore introvert. I found her inner monologue and descriptions really funny, like when Maxime and Mrs. Van Hopper were going to talk about their plans to get married. She's like, I wish none of this had happened and I was on a road whistling somewhere. (laughs) And when she's at Mandalay for the first (laughs) time meeting everyone and she's like, ah, why are my footsteps so loud? (laughs) And Whenever anyone has like a tiny change in expression, she's like, oh, my God, they hate me. I'm dumb. (laughs) (laughs) But I really like to hate the villains in this book, Mrs. Van Hopper, Rebecca, and Mrs. Danvers. I really enjoyed the book and the pace and the point of view. If it were anyone else's point of view, it would be a completely different story. Five stars for me. All right, then uh, Tori writes, I loved Rebecca. I would give it five stars. I thought all the twists and turns were equally unexpected and clever. Mrs. De Winter was a bit annoying when she first moved into Manderley with her hiding from people in the house and her insecurity about living up to Rebecca, so that part of the book dragged a little for me. It's interesting, it's the opposite of Jane. Overall, though, the entire plot was interesting and suspenseful and I really enjoyed it. Mary wrote in, The title is so misleading. I saw it on my mom's bookshelf for years and assumed it was like Anne of Green Gables or Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. I had no idea it was was a suspenseful story that had a heroine with an amazing depiction of anxiety. Not until I watched the movie and loved it. I really recommend trying to watch even the first hour of the movie if you can. And then Mary also has a question. So we'll keep those questions till the end.
1: And just real quick, for people who might not know, Mary there is referring to a movie that I did not know exist, which is the Alfred Hitchcock adaptation of this film, which won the Academy Award the year it came out. I had no idea that was a thing.
0: Yeah, I hadn't seen it because you don't want to see the movie until you read the book. And oh, so, yeah, of course. Yeah, so I had kept that one. I hadn't read. I hadn't seen it. And now I hear they have very different endings. Um, so oh. that's interesting. The,
2: the, I, have seen, I have seen the movie. And there are probably... It's very similar. There are probably... Two major differences, but they are major. So I'd be huh. very curious to hear what you thought about it. Oh,
1: man. Yeah. Well, I, I know uh, Lawrence Olivier plays Maxim, right? Oh, and he looks great doing it.
0: Let me tell you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So it's we didn't get that many people writing in, but those who did were really passionate. If you're in it, you're in it. So I'll give my review briefly, and then I want to hear your guys' reviews, and then let's get to some questions. So... I already spoiled it. I really love this book. Um, Hmm. Huh. Surprise. (laughs) Um, It was interesting because I was talking a little bit with you guys offline about it, where like I was really into it, but for some reason it was moving slowly. Like it was taking me longer to read than I thought it would, considering how into it I was. But like, I didn't find any part of it dragged. There was even a part where like there was a big twist, and there was still like 100 pages to go. And I didn't really know how it was going to um, work out, even though, like, I had some theories. Some of them were pretty crazy. Um, (laughs) Because it has this, like, fun, like you were saying, escapist, like, soapy melodramatic feel that you're like kind of like anything is possible in this world and like what is up at Mandalay? Like what is up with Rebecca? And my brain came up with some interesting theories that did not turn out to be true. <laughs>
2: I would love maybe offline to know what those were.
1: Well you know what I think I think we should do. I think this is the same as Daisy Jones. I think we should do a spoiler section because there's so much meat at the end of this book that's fun to talk about. If you guys are up for it, I'd like to do like a review and then we can brand bracket a spoiler
0: section. Sounds good. Let's do that. So I, I agree with, it's interesting that my mom and Tori both didn't really like the anxiety, um, depiction, but I really liked that part. I, Jane really liked that part. Like I felt for that protagonist. Like I understood her point of view in a way that I hadn't understood a lot of other characters before that I've read. And I have a quote to just illustrate it, to introduce the quote, uh, Dumarié is excellent at articulating feelings that I've just never put into words before, but I've definitely felt. So she's describing here the unnamed narrator coming with Max to Manderley for the first time, and they're driving in, and her feeling as sh- as she goes into the doors. It seemed remote to me and far too distant. The time when I too would should smile and be at ease, and I wished it would come quickly, that I could be old, even with gray hair and slow of step, having lived here many years. Anything but the foolish creature I felt myself to be I have felt that so many times like starting a new job or whatever it's like I wish I could fast forward to a few years from now when I'm comfortable because right now it's like really scary did you guys relate to that at all
2: yes and I related like I very much related to Jane's review of it I was like I have felt those exact same things (laughs) Um, I feel seen by this unnamed narrator (laughs)
1: <laughs> I think I was a little bit mixed on it. I think um, I definitely like, there were situations that I like felt the awkwardness was basically inescapable. Like just like being dropped into this house with all these like elaborate rituals. And this is how we do things. But no one seems to tell her how they do things. They all expect her to know. And I could imagine how intimidating that would be. But then I think my personality, I was like, uh, I was a little bit on whatever a listener wrote in saying that they were a little bit frustrated with her because mm-hmm. it, it did last a long time past the yeah. point where I would have just sat someone down and been like hey why don't you tell me all the weird rituals you have in this house why don't <laughs> you, you know like why can't we like talk about this
0: yeah there were definitely points where I wanted the narrator to get it together like she's like And then I decided to run out of the room and I'm like,
1: yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) no, that's how I approach the world. I run out of the room when I'm frustrated. (laughs) She goes on a lot of like upset walks with Jasper and I get it. But, you know, come on.
0: Obviously, you know, Damari is trying to show like she's 21. He's like 40s widower. And she's also from a different class. Like when he meets yeah. her, he runs this estate and she's like a paid companion, an orphan. So it's just she just feels so insecure compared to him. Um, but yeah, no, at, at certain points, it gets a little frustrating.
1: I have a question for you. Yes. Do you think Max, like were you or I guess everybody, uh, Andrew and Bailey, were you guys like, did you see any of the romantic interests that Re- Rebecca had in Max? Like I didn't get it at all. To me, he seemed cold, like a jerk a lot of the time. And he's described as like handsome and mysterious. But beyond that, I was like, this guy it stinks.
2: I don't know. Imagine a young Laurence Olivier and you're good.
0: <laughs> Imagine that nobody's ever looked at you before. And this really handsome, rich man is like giving you attention and taking you for drives and taking you out to breakfast. And sometimes like he'll give you a glimmer of warmth and so then yeah. you're just searching for that. She's just insecure and she's just drawn to to that. But this is yeah, it's a toxic relationship.
2: Oh yeah, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, but I did I did understand it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And a- another thing that I understood is this all-consuming jealousy that the narrator has for this woman Rebecca who is dead, like that she cannot ever live up to. So this is this is the quote that I loved. I'm sure you guys loved it too. Page 238. I could fight the living, but I could not fight the dead. If there was some woman in London that Maxime loved, someone he wrote to, visited, dined with, slept with, I could fight with her. We would stand on common ground. I should not be afraid. Anger and jealousy were things that could be conquered. One day the woman would grow old or tired or different, and Maxime would not love her anymore. But Rebecca would never grow old. Rebecca would always be the same. And she and I could not fight. She was too strong for me. Ah, Yeah. The sentences are simple, but they just like embody these really strong and interesting emotions. So yeah, this was a five star for me. What about you guys?
1: Um, yeah, I I love this book <laughs> so much. A little bit of like weird backstory on me. Um, when I was a little kid, my grandma gave me a big set of cassette tapes um, with old time radio shows on them. Um, <laughs> like stories in, like the from like the 20s all the way to the 50s and 60s. They're basically like TV shows before uh, there was TV when you'd listen to them on the radio. Um, and a lot of them, I realized that as I was reading Rebecca a lot of them imitated this story there's a lot of like creepy housemaids trying to drive people insane and like distant men who are withholding and cruel. And it's just, it's so cool to uh, every every once in a while stumble on like what seems like a source text for something. And so this kind of story, which I've enjoyed since I was a little kid, uh, this was just like, oh, this is like the best version of it. It's camp, like it's, it's, it approaches campiness. It's very melodramatic. It's very extra in points. And it's so, so enjoyable for me. And she doesn't shy away, I think, from flirting with like the supernatural. Um, there's nothing like explicitly supernatural, but you, there's definitely scenes where there's like a kind of icy finger going up your back, and it's so much fun. So I gave it five stars. I loved it.
2: Yeah, so I also really loved this book. Um... I had some familiarity with the the text. I had seen the movie, obviously, as I said, and I had been in a play called *The Mystery of Irma Vep* by Charles Ludlam, which is basically—I mean—it's a mix of a whole bunch of different things. But the central story is sort of a ripoff of Rebecca, it's told in a very camp fashion. Um, so I had some like basic, un, like already coming in with some goodwill for it. I ended up only going to four stars, and now I'm wondering why I did that. Ooh. I mean, I guess I'm allowed to change it, but I—I I mean, I had a really great time. I had a big problem with one decision that happens later in the book which we can talk about in the spoiler section uh and that was enough for me to like not want to give it full five um but don't let that take anything away from it i really loved it
0: yeah that's awesome all right well i'm i'm dying to know which part you didn't like so we're going to move now into spoiler section and questions so when we ask the questions we can get into spoilers so so we are in spoiler section listeners skip ahead to the facts in the game, if you do not want to be spoiled for Rebecca. Dylan, we're about to spoil it for you. I know.
1: Bailey, I cannot wait to hear your dum-dum theories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so spoilers start now. So my dum-dum theory was that the unnamed narrator is Rebecca. And, like, Ooh. that she didn't remember. And that's why all of the all of the servants were like, well, Mrs. DeWinter would want the flowers on this table, as if, like, <laughs> trying to get her to, like, remember but then, at a certain point, it was obviously like, "Oh no, no! Rebecca really is dead." Um, yeah. <laughs> but that, but I was like, "There's got to be a big twist here."
2: That's not a dumb theory. That's a cool theory. No, that's not. There is like textual support for that
1: theory. Yeah. I thought
2: you were gonna say like this was all happening in a child's playhouse.
1: <laughs> when you say that though it brings up like it makes me think of one of the strengths of this book is that I feel like it it knows how to test the outer limits of like camp and melodrama without crossing into that like if if she had been Rebecca without her memory I mean it would have been a fun twist but yeah do you guys agree like she knows how to pull the reins back just a little bit and I think it makes for a better story
0: yeah it's more realistic this way yeah a lot of people asked the question, and I can give the specific wording, like, uh, my interpretation was influenced by the fact that she doesn't have a name. And so I was like, it's going to end up being Rebecca. So I'll just put these questions out there. And then I want to hear Andrew's critique. Um, Let's see. Mary's question. How do you feel that the narrator is never named? Do you think that has a larger social implications of a woman's status at the time or just a trope to show how all consuming Rebecca was? And then Camille writes in, does it make it harder to bond with the main character when she has no name? And this, and then she says, this is a weirdly successful novel. I just read that it's never been out of print. What makes it resonate so much? So let's talk a little bit about the fact that she's never named. What did you guys think about that? Truly,
1: I never noticed it. <laughs> I, listened, I listened to it. I listened to this book on Audible, and I guess I was just so wrapped up. and. It wasn't until I was trying to organize my thoughts for, like, taking some notes for today's episode, I was like, huh, I, I don't remember the main character's name. And then <laughs> I, like, tried to Google it, and I was like, oh, I feel dumb now.
0: Well, no, it shows that she's good, a good writer that you didn't notice, I guess.
2: Yeah, and I go towards the second option that, um, that Mary set out, that it was just talking about how all-consuming Rebecca was. Mm-hmm um that's where i i led to i mean in the in the movie she doesn't they resist the idea to give her a name too i think she's just referred to as the second mrs de winter Mm -hmm. so like i've just sort of taken that for granted that we don't know her name and yeah I, i i chalked it up to rebecca just dominating as she does
1: uh you know who would have a name rebecca
0: But yeah, it does fit with the character that like she even just denies herself a name in her own story.
1: Real quick, when we're in the spoiler section, I will say, Andrew, I think I was kind of toggling back and forth between like four and five stars, but the ending really killed it for me. When they're driving home and she sees, they're like, that's not the Northern Lights and it's red, it's over the hill. And the ending is that they don't even mention it, but that... Manderley burned to the ground because Mrs. Danvers burned it to the ground. I yeah. was like boom, five stars. Like what a kill, what a killer ending.
0: Yeah, you got to read till like the last word.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I
2: again, I just hesitated giving it five stars because of one specific thing, which I guess I can say now. What's yeah, a do specific it? thing? How chill our unnamed narrator was that Maxim killed Rebecca yeah. yeah, she's just like yeah I'm so on your side I have no qualms I wouldn't have even had a problem with it if she had just been like oh she, like, sided with him, and all of the, like, facts of it stayed the same, but she didn't even have in her head, <laughs> in her, like, personal narration of it, any qualms about all it. All she
0: cared about was him saying, I never loved Rebecca, and I killed her. Yeah. He's like, oh, she just, she doesn't hear that I killed, she hears that I never loved Rebecca, and she's like, all right, yeah. I'm in.
2: <laughs> yeah, so that's, so that's what it was, because I was like, you, you could have written the exact same novel, had the exact same facts come out, and just had her a little, you know, Skewed rightfully out. weirded out that this guy murdered his <laughs> His former wife. And so that was enough of a thing to be like, I can't quite go five But isn't
0: it so interesting, though, that like, it's like this marriage council, like this Irreconcilable differences that are only made better by him confessing that he's a murderer. Which yeah. she's like, okay, I'm mean, like, it's I've never read anything like that before.
2: No, it's totally interesting. It just it fed fed into her not sticking up for yeah. herself yeah. in a way. Yeah, okay. Which I think is, is fitting, but it felt a little bit like taking her agency away. Yeah, I mean appropriate, but it bugged me a little bit.
0: So Rebecca by Daphne Du Maurier, five stars pretty much across the board except for Andrew. Just kidding. Um, Toby, hit us with some facts.
1: All right. Um, Dame Daphne du Maurier was born on the 13th of May, 1907, and died on the 19th of April, 1989. She was an English author and playwright. Many of her stories and books have been adapted into films, notably Rebecca, My Cousin Rachel, and Jamaica Inn. Uh, she wrote the short story The Birds that the Hitchcock film was based on, and, yeah, they were all very successful uh adaptations. Um, of the films, uh, du Maurier has been on the record that the only ones she liked were Hitchcock's version of Rebecca and Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. Hmm. So she was pretty picky. Mm-hmm. She spent most of her life in Cornwall, um, where a lot of her books are set. Um, it's the kind of beautiful, brooding, coastal England setting that uh, you will definitely know what we're talking about if you've read Rebecca. Uh, her parents were interesting people, <laughs> to say the least. Her father was Sir Gerald du Maurier and he was an actor um, and her mother was named Muriel Beaumont um, and she was an actress um, Rebecca was probably her most successful work uh, as published in 1938 uh, it was an immediate smash hit selling nearly 3 million copies between 1938 and 1965 um, as has been mentioned earlier it's never been out of print uh, and is reputed to sell several thousand copies a month to this day uh, in the U.S. at the time of release, Maurier won the National Book Award for Favorite Novel of 1938. Um, and in the U.K., it was listed as number 14 on the nation's best loved novel. So it is to put it lightly, a super popular book. Throughout her working life, she was categorized as a romantic novelist, um, and she really hated that term. Um, It's understandable, uh, if you've read Rebecca, there are romantic elements in the book, um, but it certainly doesn't really have a happy ending. Uh, It's very, very dark in parts. The relationships are very fractured, um, and that is kind of a theme of all of her books. But she uh, reminded me a little bit of Shirley Jackson, uh, where she found herself kind of pigeonholed by reviewers and people saying, oh, she writes romantic novels, when really, they merited a, a deeper analysis than that. So, there is an interesting aspect to Dumarié's life. Um, it has been repudiated by her children, but there's some pretty strong evidence um, that Dumarié had um, several gay affairs outside of her marriage. Um, there's some letters penned by Dumarié to Ellen Doubleday, the wife of her U.S. publisher, in which she proclaims her love for her. It seems like the relationship was never acted upon It seems like Ellen Doubleday uh, rejected her, Um, but there's also ample evidence that she had an affair with an actor named Gertrude Lawrence, with whom her father had also had an affair. So Daphne du Maurier, interesting life, interesting woman, and yeah.
0: They should make a movie about her life. That's crazy.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I'm going to end with this weird little tidbit about her father. Her father, Gerald, um, was one of the most successful actors of his day. And this is a fact from Dumarié.org, which is the Daphne Dumarié website. Uh, you will not learn anything about her illicit gay affairs <laughs> on that website. <laughs> I'm sorry to say, but you will learn a lot of fun facts. This is uh, one about her father. Uh, Gerald was one of the most successful actors of his day. He had a casual, almost offhand manner on stage. <laughs> this is a quote from Daphne. Uh, if an actor approached a scene with too much enthusiasm, he would ask, must you kiss her as though you were having a steak and onions for lunch? It may be what you feel, but it's damned unattractive from the front row stalls. Can't you just say, I love you, and yawn, and light a cigarette, and walk away? Uh, This is how he played it, and gradually the casual but ubiquitous Dumarié cigarette became one of his trademarks, um, and he eventually sold the rights for the name Dumarié to a brand of cigarettes because the family got in trouble because he didn't pay taxes for many years. I
0: can see where the Maxine character comes from.
1: Exactly. Maxim is always smoking. He's smoking a lot of cigarettes.
2: Always saying something with no emotion and then smoking a cigarette. (laughs) Very true.
0: I would have nothing less from Daphne du Maurier. Exactly. Um, Alright, Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do.
2: You know, who's to say? Um, Um. Did I make this game only because I wanted to make a game called Rebecca Hall because I thought of the game, (laughs) the name Rebecca Hall for for a name? You be the judge. Um... (laughs) So something I didn't mention in my review for Everything I Never Told You was a lot of it centers around Harvard. It's where the parents meet, it's where the oldest son is about to head off to, and it is like a setting for a lot of what happens. And the other book's named Rebecca, and Harvard (laughs) has a lot of halls on it.
0: All right, all right.
2: (laughs) So have you guessed what the game is gonna be? I'm going to read you a name, a man's name, and it's either the person who a hall or building is named at on Harvard University's campus, Or it's a character in a Daphne du Maurier novel. Okay. Wow, this sounds... Difficult. <laughs> it is incredibly difficult. This might not even be fun, but I was looking at the at at the halls on Harvard, and then it clicked in my head that the other book was called Rebecca, and I couldn't turn back. <laughs> Sometimes it's
1: that simple.
0: Do we buzz in, or how does it work?
1: You know what? I lo- I like reviewing other parts of podcast, Andrew. I don't like games, Andrew. Games, Andrew is is <laughs> firmly in control in a way that's upsetting to me. <laughs>
2: Um, so yes, we're going to do this classic because I feel bad taking it a little too hard on Toby, trying to change rules on him. Uh, you're going to buzz in by saying Rebecca Hall, and then you're going to say either Harvard or Demarier based on what you think. I have 10 questions and a tiebreaker, so we'll see where we end up after that. Excellent. All right, here's the first name. Remember to buzz in by saying Rebecca Hall. Humphrey Pendulin. Rebecca
1: Rebecca Hall. Hall. Toby? Humphrey Pendlin would be a uh, Du Maurier character. That is correct, he <laughs> is from Jamaica Inn.
0: I would have guessed that one too.
2: One point for you. All right, next. Arthur Houghton. Rebecca uh, Hall. Toby again. That'll be a Harvard Hall. Yes, Houghton or Houghton, I'm not sure exactly how this one is pronounced. Library is named after Arthur Houghton. Toby already has two points. Bailey, you're gonna have to get a little quicker with the old uh, buzzing in.
0: I just, you know, I just think, you know, it's okay. You like Toby better, it's fine.
2: Maybe just remember Toby's strategy
1: and try to use it, Bailey. Why don't you take Jasper on a walk, Bailey?
2: (laughs) George Peabody.
1: Rebecca Hall. Rebecca Hall.
2: (laughs) Okay, well, Toby did it correct. Baylor started first and said the wrong thing.
1: That's going to be a a Harvard Hall. That is also correct, Toby. (laughs) The,
2: (laughs) The Peabody Museum of Archaeology and Ethnology is named after George Peabody. He also has a lot of other buildings named after him. Is he the person the Peabody Award is named after? I think so. I would imagine. I have not checked that. Probably he funds a lot of education programming. There's also a natural history museum named after him at Yale. Um,
1: Nicholas Kendall. Rebecca Hall.
2: Bailey, you just got to buzz in.
1: Nicholas <laughs> <laughs> Kendall. Uh, that'll be a du Maurier, uh character. That is correct. He's he from my cousin Rachel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just don't like uh, to, to, to speak up. I'll just, I'll just leave the room.
2: Joseph Coombe.
0: Yeah, me, Rebecca Hall.
2: <laughs> Do you think you're Rebecca Hall? Is that the issue? You've said me twice now. All right, yes, Bailey.
0: Um, what was the name again?
2: <laughs> Joseph Coombe. Joseph Coombe. Did uh, You get a negative point for not remembering.
0: Um, I think it's uh yeah uh, Harvard.
2: <laughs> That's incorrect.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Joseph Coom is from *The Loving Spirit* by Dumarié Oh no.
1: <laughs>
2: Ward Nicholas Boylston Rebecca, Rebecca Hall.
1: Hall Toby. Uh, that's a uh, Harvard Hall. That is correct.
2: Boylston yes. Hall. <laughs> Bailey, it is mathematically impossible for you to win now
0: okay well
2: but just for fun we're gonna do a speed round bailey automatically is buzzing in on these next two Wait, no, okay. here's what
1: i'd like to do so i want to seed all my guesses to bailey
2: <laughs> How dare you. all right all right ambrose ashley
0: uh Demarier?
1: that is correct yes. also awesome. my cousin rachel bailey it's better for the podcast if you got them all wrong
2: <laughs> toby i just want to take a moment to congratulate you um real quick what would you say if I said Adolphus Bush?
1: Adolphus Bush. Uh, I'm gonna say Dumarie.
2: Incorrect. Okay, so your streak would have ended eventually. Oh no! Adolphus Bush of the Bush Amheiser Bush Brewing fortune oh. has a hall named after him Duh, at Toby. Harvard. Oh no. <laughs>
1: Toby, you really rocked that one. Great job. Thank you. Congratulations.
0: Toby, I just live in your shadow. It's fine.
1: This is what happens when I'm not crippled by tyrannical rules about when you can buzz in. Yeah, exactly. You buzz in every time in a row and Bailey gets confused.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rebecca would have gotten those answers right.
0: Yeah, Rebecca totally would have. <laughs> well, good job, Toby. I definitely miffed that one. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, so uh, now's the point in the podcast where we choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It is The Choosing. The Choosing. The Choosing. So we did a different thing where instead of having me read the book club pick next time, Andrew's going to read the book club pick, which gives you listeners more time to read. It gives you more, uh, more like a month versus 2 weeks. So we put it out to Instagram, Andrew picked a stack of books from his shelf, and one book dominated
2: really just rocked it out
0: 53% of the vote for this one title out of 5 and that title is Circe by Madeline Miller
2: oh yeah Woot. I'm really excited about this. This is great. I, l- let me let me let you in on a little bit of a secret. For my stack, I only picked books I was really excited about. <laughs> so I wasn't going to lose anyway. But this is maybe in the one or two I was most excited about reading. So I'm feeling
1: great. I'm very excited for you to read this, Andrew. I, this is a five-star book for me. I absolutely love this book.
0: Well, apparently our listeners are psyched too. So Andrew will be reading Circe, but Dylan did a choosing for me. So what is, what is my book?
1: From randomly selecting on your list... Wow, we haven't done that in a while for you. I know. Bailey, you have number 50, I Know This Much Is True by Wally Lamb.
0: Wally Lamb who hates his Fitbit.
2: (laughs) 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 This has come up so many times, and this is like... I I don't want to step on your toes here, Bailey, but this is the definition of a book that's been on a shelf for as long as I can remember, because it was on our mother's shelf from the beginning of time, as far as I'm concerned. And I always wondered what it was about.
0: Which is why I got it at a library book sale. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that book from the shelf. And it's just, it's going to be a series on HBO with Mark Ruffalo. So perfect timing.
1: Okay, cool.
0: Nice. So that means next week we have a mini-sode. It's, are you a plot device in your own life? but that should be a fun (laughs) quiz. Um, And then in two weeks, Toby has The Crying of Lot 49 by Thomas Pynchon. And I have I Know This Much Is True by Wally Lamb.
1: Don't worry, guys. I totally understand all of The Crying of Lot 49. (laughs) It's very simple. I'm going to read it along with
2: you, Toby. So I'll be there with you to to just (laughs) understand less than you.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com The To Read podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Two List podcast and on Twitter at To read list pod. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkey for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, Box, books, books. books. books.